0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines.
1: We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God, near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we'll continue exploring the major events in the Bible in the story series. This next message comes from the book of Jeremiah as God speaks to those exiled from Jerusalem into Babylon. You can find these messages and many more wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Let's join Pastor Jeff. He's reading from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4.
1: Turning your Bibles, if you went over to Jeremiah 29 verse 4, while you're looking for that, want to get started, want to set this up by, ask, by, well, I guess by reminding you of something, and that's this. According to the Bible, you had nothing to do with where you were born, right? Nothing to do with that. You didn't do something in eternity past that made God decide, okay, I'm going to have you be born in the promised land, a place called Tennessee, That is not something that you could do, right? So you had no say, according to Acts 17, actually, if you want to read that chapter sometime, you had nothing to do with where you would be born and what continent you'd be born. The Bible actually says that God drew out the boundaries of man, that uh, he decided who was going to be born when and at what time and among what people. Somebody else decided where you were born, but it goes beyond that. And this is what we forget. It goes beyond that into this. As you get older, you look back on your life and you realize a couple of things. Number one, you realize, my life did not turn out the way I thought it would. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is this. You start to realize that I had very little control over my life. You start to look back and think, man, I wanted to go this way. God took me this way. And then God took me way. This- I wanted to get here, but he had a path that like zigzag. And you start to realize that, man, I... Although I thought all along I was in control of my life, it appears that somebody else was. And the Bible asks you to stop and think that if it looks like, if it looks like you weren't in control of your life, chances are that you weren't in control of your life, somebody else was. So the Bible goes past saying that where you were born, you had nothing to do with. And if you're honest with yourself, even though it might be difficult for some of you, chances are high that you really had little to nothing to do with where you're living right now. That God positions us all through our lives, where we live, what house we live in. You think, oh, I chose this, I chose that. But the reality is there's a God who says he draws out those boundaries. You're where you are right now. He positioned you here. And the little string that is your life, that little string that represents your life that you were given, you're supposed to take your life represented in that string and intertwine it with everybody else's life and become one to do something fantastic. Now, folks, this message, as you go to Jeremiah 29, it is uncanny how similar the experience of the Hebrews in Babylon is similar to your experience in mine. Let me show you what I mean. In 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar marches in, the king of uh, Babylon marches in, and he devastates the children of Israel. Uh, The Hebrews are taken away from their culture. Uh, where God permeates the arts, the sciences, their philosophy. God is everything. They did not live segmentable lives. The Hebrews, God was involved in every facet. It wasn't God here, then work here, God here, and then science here. Everything was together. They were taken out of that culture and placed into Babylon where there was great oppression and aggression against the God of Israel. Now, now stay with me. In Babylon, they weren't anti-religion. They weren't. King Nebuchadnezzar enacted a political piece of legislation, and it was this. It is not wrong to worship many gods. It's just wrong to worship one. Because no one nation held in captivity could claim that their god was the real god. Otherwise, King Nebuchadnezzar was afraid that war would break out. So the only sin that you could commit in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was not to worship everybody else's God. You can worship your God, but you got to worship everybody else's God too. Man, does that sound familiar? Think about this for a moment. The, the Hebrews were monotheistic. They were one God. And one God who created and sustains everything. King Nebuchadnezzar had all these gods. He even erected, if you read the book of Daniel, which is the same time of Jeremiah writing his prophecies, he erected a statue 90 feet high to himself and told everybody to bow down and worship when the music plays. That's why Shadrach and Meshach were thrown into, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. Not because they worship God, but because they wouldn't worship all the other gods. You got it? Now, as they're living in Babylon, there's a question that emerged. And the question was this, how can we live a life of integrity that mirrors the message of God in a world that is hostile toward our God? Now, before I move on, because this ought to just speak volumes to you, before I move on, can you think of another society that mirrors what I just described? Yes. Where it's not wrong to worship many gods, but just don't claim you have the god, and that one religion faces oppression. Where where would that be? The good old United States of America. Let me read you something out of Culture Watch magazine. I read this past week. One of the most intolerant places on earth today is the Western universities. some talking about American universities. Woe to any conservatives or Christians who dare to stand against the secular left dominance on campus. Anti-Christian bigotry is alive and well in the West, but it is especially pronounced at our universities. It is open season on Christianity at most Western campuses today. Now, most of you know that sometimes when I'm missing here, that I'm at some university somewhere... And I'm trying to talk to our kids because a lot of our college students lose their faith when they go off to college, and that's because they've not been prepared well by the church or by their parents because they're going into the lion's den. And they have all these questions that they want to ask churches, and churches end up getting defensive and say, Well, you'll find out when you get older, and that's not good enough. And so when they ask their questions and we're not equipped to answer them, they go off to university and somebody's going to answer them. And when you're not there to defend the scripture, to defend the Bible, that's the only message they're hearing. We live in a society today in the West that does not honor the God of the Bible, that detests Christian morality, that is angered by Christian exclusivity, and that has a great intolerance for the Christian community. That's why when I speak at these universities, one of the things I say is, and I stay with me, is I say, wait a minute, guys, if inclusivity is all it's cracked up to be, then why can not we not include the exclusivist? If inclusivity is all it's cracked up to be, then why can we not include the exclusivist? Tolerance in America means to tolerate everybody who thinks like you do. And if Jesus is exclusive, he's the most inclusive exclusivist you'll ever find because all who call on the name of the Lord can be saved. You don't have to be born a Brahmin as you would be in the Indian culture. You don't have to be fluent in advanced Arabic as you do as a Muslim or in Islam. Doesn't matter what country you're born in, what race, what creed, everything. You too, if you call on the name of the Lord and acknowledge your sin, shall be saved. Now, the question that these people had is the same question we have, and that's why it's so appropriate. How do you and I live in a culture that is aggressive toward our God? What do we do? Do we, go, do we go build a barn out in the wilderness and live out there with our family and separate ourselves from everybody else? Well, what most people don't realize is King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah. He came not once, but he came twice to Jerusalem. In 587, we understand that he came and he knocked Jerusalem to the ground. He laid waste to it, devastated the city, ultimate destruction. But what we forget is that he came 10 years earlier. In 597 BC, he didn't destroy the city, didn't tear down the walls, did not lay waste to the city. Instead, you know what he did? He simply took 10,000 of them and carted them off to Babylon, but it was the 10,000 educated young professionals. He took those who were involved in government and education, philosophy, he took the very best of Israel, and he carted them off to captivity in Babylon and started to Babylonianize them spiritually, socially culturally, intellectually, religiously. And then after he had sufficiently trained them, he sent them back in to Israel to be the government officials, the politicians, the teachers, the lecturers. Because he knew that if you could change the influencers and then send them back into their own country, that you could do away with a biblical culture in one generation. And I believe the secular humanists have read the scriptures because this is exactly the strategy Let's educate the influencers. Let's go to our major universities in America. And you know me, if you're first time here, I don't usually, I mean, you guys have been around me long enough. I'm, I'm about the least political person you could ever talk to. I hardly ever bring this up. So when I do, you know, it's, it's on my mind and it's also in scripture. Now, historians from the beginning have asked as Christians, what do we do? What do we do? Do we, do we go out in a barn and hide away? Do we separate or do we assimilate? Do we go into culture? The problem with thinking that all of a sudden, this is important, that you as Christians, the problem with thinking that we just go hide away and we have nothing to do with the world is Jesus said this in John 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Jesus says, don't take them out of the world. They got to be in it. I got a purpose for them, but protect them from the evil one. Now listen, this is so counterintuitive because here's what happens in Jeremiah 29. When the Babylonians capture the Hebrews and they send them over into Babylonian captivity, when the Hebrews first get there, they live near a place called, uh, Nippur, uh, just adjacent to the the Kabar Canal. This is outside of the city of Babylon. It's out on the outskirts. So they've been transplanted from Samaria, Jerusalem, over to Babylon, but not in the city of Babylon. When they get there, they all kind of congregate in a little commune outside in Nippur, near the Kabar Canal. Now, about that time, Hananiah, who is a false prophet, starts writing letters to them, and he tells them this. Do not go inside the city. Do not move inside the city. We are believers, they are unbelievers. Babylon is the source of pagan worlds, pagan cultures. Have nothing to do with them. Don't get involved politically, economic, socially. Just stay away, stay away, avoid at all costs. Pray against it, pray against the city. And Hananiah said, we prophets see that God is going to judge the city and we're going to be returned to our rightful place of rule. Pray against the city. Have nothing to do with this evil place. In other words, separate yourself completely. Go out and live in the wilderness somewhere and say, we will have nothing to do with you. Jeremiah, the real prophet of God, here's what Hananiah has done. So he sits down and begins to write as he hears from the Lord, the real prophet of God. And he writes a scathing letter that becomes the blueprint for those who are living in exile. It becomes a blueprint for how to live when you're living in a culture that oppresses your faith and oppresses God. And here's what he says, this Verse 4 is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease and seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. You have to understand when the Hebrews would have heard this it would have been so counterintuitive first of all god says i took you into exile you think the babylonians came no no i sent you to babylon i sent you there so don't withdraw don't live out on the Kbar canal get out of nippur go into the city don't wish destruction on the city don't rejoice in their downfall pray for them because as they prosper so too will you prosper In order for you and I to live effectively in this world, in this culture, we do three things. Number one, we remind ourselves what God is doing. Come on, you've read enough of the story now. What is God doing? Is he not redeeming mankind back to himself? Now, if God is redeeming mankind back to himself and he calls us in and we're redeemed, what do you think our primary job with our life is? To be used of God, to call people who are far from God, near to God. People ask me all the time, what's my purpose in life? I got it. I got it. It's to help people who are far from God to come near to God. That's your purpose. What God says to these Hebrews is this. You think you've lost your cultural power. Think about it. Are Christians, do they have the cultural power now in America that they did 40 years ago? No. And you think somebody took it from you. But God says, you think you lost your cultural power because somebody took it from you? God says, no, no. I allowed it to be taken for a reason. And it's part of my plan now that you live in a pagan world so that I can use you to bring people who are far from God, near to God. The distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian is never seen more intensely than it is when the culture is pagan. You know what God is saying? God is saying, I reserve the right. No, no, let's, let's move from the general to the specific here. God is saying, I reserve the right to allow a country that was once Christian to become non-Christian In order to separate the wheat from the chaff, and to use those Christians to show the world what it really is like when a group of God-fearers, Christians, move into a city, to show the city what it's like when the Christians move to town. God also reserves the right to move you, to uproot you, and put you in a different place. You think you live beside the neighbor from hell by accident. What you don't realize is God has uprooted you or maybe them and He put them beside you because you are the hope of the world. And God says, I want you to move into the city. Let them see your holiness and purity and your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your determination to make this place a place of prosperity. If you're gonna be able to live in a culture like this, the first thing you gotta do is realize what God is doing and look at everything that happens to you as an opportunity to move somebody far from God, near to God. Now that brings the second thing. Refuse to believe that the only choices you have are separation or assimilation. Separation means this: okay, I'm gonna live out on the K Bar Canal and I'm not going among those heathens. Assimilation is no, I'm gonna go among the heathens and I'm gonna become like them. God says neither one is right. There's a third option. Don't assimilate. And matter of fact, the, the false prophet Hananiah said, separate or you will assimilate. If you don't separate yourself, then you'll start to walk like them, talk like them, live like them, pursue the same things. Don't do that. Quarantine yourself in the name of God or you'll be contaminated, Hananiah said. And this takes Jeremiah off. Think about it. Most Christians who have non-Christian neighbors or non-Christian friends, think about it. Sometimes you know somebody at work or wherever that's, a, that's not a believer and here's how you act. You act, I got to stay away from them. God says, that's not the way that it works. There's another option rather than assimilating or separating. He says, increase in number there, do not decrease. What he's saying is don't just blend in. Don't become like them. Don't lose your identity. Don't become Babylonians. Know your number. Know who you are. Count them. Stay in your covenant relationship, but increase. What God is calling us to is this. He wants us to be spiritually bicultural. In other words, don't hate the city and love me and don't love the city. And hate me. Love both. Love both. Integrate deeply into the culture while keeping your identity. So, bef- you, you see what I'm saying? What, what is our calling? Your calling is not to separate and go live and stop sending your kids to university. What good are you doing then? You're not salt of the earth, light of the world permeating the culture. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, now listen, this is important. I say, Pastor Jeff, if we do that, we might be assimilating. The reason that so many of us struggle with this is because. We've not efficiently trained and effectively trained our children to be prepared for this kind of world. We have too many parents who are saying, well, I just want my child to be able to choose. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You do that, and when they get to university, somebody else is going to choose for them. So they're going to see this professor up in front, and they're going to idolize and say, man, this guy's awesome. And whatever this professor chooses to believe, they're going to end up believing. You get to decide either you influence them or the world's going to influence them. Either way, there's no neutral ground. And so our college students go off to college And the reason they walk away from the faith, which so many are, is because they don't have accountability groups. They've never had an intimate relationship with God. Remember what happened to Daniel? Daniel refused to stop praying even when he was gonna be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel was able to live in a pluralistic world monotheistically. He still served the one God no matter what it cost him. But he had a great accountability group, didn't he? They were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He did not assimilate. He did not separate. He was right in the middle of the kingdom. The point is... You've got to ask yourself two questions before I move to the third and final point. Have you assimilated? I don't know. Help me. Okay, I will. Do you pursue the same thing everybody else pursues in Babylon? Are you monotheistic? Are you a one God person? Oh, yes, Pastor Jeff. I only serve one God. Do you? So your God is God alone, right? So if you're in business and you have a chance to make a ton of money, but you have to do something unethical, you're going to choose to obey God, right? And if this God asks you... To conduct yourself certain ways, like in, let's say, the physical side of your relationship with a man or woman that you're not married to yet, and the culture said, no, this is the way we're going, but you're, you're one God. You're not multi-God, so you got one God. You're gonna go that way, right? Have you assimilated? Have you allowed the culture of Babylon or the culture of our world to dictate how you live your life, or has God dictated how you live your life? That's the way you know. Or is your life in such stark contrast to everybody else's life around you that they're compelled toward you. You're so different. Have you assimilated? Have you separated? Do you live in your holy huddles? The only friends you have are Christians and you just get together in your holy huddles. There's no intentionality in your life whatsoever to bring somebody far from God, near to God. When we talk about one life, you just let it go right over your head. Wait a minute, I thought we said earlier that the primary goal of your life is to bring somebody far from God, near to God. When's the last time you did that? Wait a minute. It's not like one of the goals. It's like what Jesus did, and we're supposed to be like him. Who are you investing in? Have you assimilated or have you separated? There's a third option, and the third option is to permeate. Not separate, not assimilate, but to permeate, to come inside the culture from within. Go ahead to your jobs, go do your sporting events, live your life, live your life. Don't separate. But as you live your life, live distinctly as a people of God and let them see such a difference and contrast in your life that they're drawn. Let me, hear, let me show you one more time. Verse, verse seven, he says, seek the peace, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. The word is shalom. If you know anything about shalom, you know, it means much more than just hello, goodbye. It's a complete Total well-being kind of a greeting, a multidimensional well-being that includes spiritual, physical, yes, even economic well-being. You're praying for the prosperity of your community. Here's the point. He's saying that I want them to see what happens when God's people goes in the middle of Babylon, how Babylon continues or begins to prosper because my people are there. Do you hear what God is saying? This community right here should be prospering because we are here. It should prosper in that crime goes down. Those who are living less fortunate lives. Poverty goes down and spirituality goes up. Now stay with me. Isn't this the gospel? God sends Jesus to a foreign place. They are hostile toward God. What does he do? Does he separate? Well, I'm going to go out here and live with John the Baptist. We're just going to hang out and eat locusts and honey. No. No, no, no. He does go into the wilderness for 40 days, but just to prepare for what God's going to do with him in the city. Does he assimilate? No, man. He goes right into the institutions and the establishments, but he's nothing like them. He didn't assimilate. He didn't separate. What did he do? He said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He lightened the load of those who were suffering, and he lightened your load and mine when he went to the cross and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, the burden was too heavy to bear against the holiness of God, so he took all of it on his shoulders and he died for you and me. He lightened our load. You know what God has called you to do? Is to lighten the load of this community. All the pain. There's only one man who can embrace and take on himself all the pain of the world, and that's Jesus. But what he does The church is the hope of the world. And every member, every part of the church, every individual, he gives a portion of the pain of the world. What's your portion? What are you doing with your life to alleviate the pain of somebody else? You say, Pastor Jeff, help me. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Then come back next week because I'm going to tell you. There's no way I could do this in one sermon. If you'll come back next week, I'll get you started and help you find your way. I am telling you that there are people all out who are crying help and they need you and it is your calling. And when you get to heaven and you enter into the gates, who will come up and say, man, you saved me. I don't even remember you. Yeah, you fed my family. You cleaned up our orphanage. You gave me hope. There's only one man who takes all the pain of the world, but then he takes that pain and he distributes it evenly among all his followers and says, go, you are the answer to evil in the world. What is your portion? And I would pray that this is a message that would be taken to heart. I pray that our lives would be changed because of it. Father, I pray that we would hear the call to alleviate the pain and suffering in this world and to recognize that we live here for a reason and that we come to this church for a reason. And our job is not to just simply come and occupy a chair, but to drop anchor and say, how can I use my life to make a difference and impact in this world? Go with us, God. Forgive us where we have separated. Forgive us where we have assimilated and help us to permeate our world as we help people who are away from God come near. In Jesus' name, for His glory. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I free I will bring this up. You are my wonder. You make the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines.